Welcome back to The Law. I am BK Williams, and this is episode 29, and we're going to discuss a unanimous decision out of the Sixth Circuit, and unanimous when we're talking about Federal Court of Appeals, the circuit courts are three judges, so three agreed on this. And this case came out last year, late last year, just in November of 2018. This case deals with the judicially made-up doctrine of qualified immunity. The name of the case is Baxter v. Bracey, and the link to the actual opinion is in the show notes, as always. And the ACLU wants the Supreme Court of the United States to overturn the Sixth Circuit's opinion, which we're talking about today. The ACLU's petition for writ of certiorari, which is just the legal pretentious way of saying the ACLU's request to the Supreme Court to hear the case, is also uh, linked in the notes. So we'll explain what happened in Baxter versus Bracey, you know, the facts of the case, and why it's a big issue, why the Supreme Court should take the case, and they should severely limit, if not completely destroy, the judicially made-up doctrine of qualified immunity. And did I mention that this doctrine is entirely made up by the judiciary? Well, if I haven't, just remember... The doctrine of qualified immunity is made up entirely by the judiciary, just out of whole cloth. They just made it up, and it has had all kinds of adverse effects, and we'll talk about it. We talked about qualified immunity, the the subject itself, back in episode four early on, but today we're going to go over it in relation to the specifics of this case, the facts of this case, and in anticipation, hopefully, of the U.S. Supreme Court deciding to hear it. As always, The Law with D.K. Williams is brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Direction, find us at thelaunchpadmedia.com. And remember, follow me personally on social media if you are so inclined. On Twitter, it's at Blue Carp and on Facebook.com slash Blue Carp. And check out our new Facebook page for this podcast, The Law with D.K. Williams. We'll have all the podcasts up there with descriptions, and you can listen to them from that page. It'll take you to the podcast link at Launchpad Media. And you can contact me via that Facebook page too, and I'd love to hear from you. So the new Facebook page, check it out, The Law with D.K. Williams. Wherever you're listening, I hope you like, comment, subscribe, share also, if that's something you're down with. The name plaintiff, there's only one plaintiff in this case, is Alexander Baxter. He's a burglar. Criminal cases often deal with criminals, right? The name defendant is a Nashville police officer, Brad Bracey. There's a second defendant named as well, also in the National Police Department, both officers were in the police canine unit at the time this all went down, and they had a dog with them, so we're going to have a dog attack. And as we've talked about, Bracey gets his name in the case because he's listed first. The other guy, nobody's ever going to remember him. All right, so we will jump right into the opinion itself to give you the facts. Quote, a neighbor caught Alexander Baxter burglarizing a house and called the police. Soon, Baxter heard sirens and saw a helicopter looking for him, so he ran to another house, one he had broken into before and hid in the basement. But the canine unit arrived and quickly sniffed him out. After giving several warnings, one of the officers released his dog, who apprehended Baxter with a bite to the arm. Baxter says he had already surrendered when the dog was released, and so the two officers violated his constitutional right to be free from excessive force. I will stop right there for a second. It's clearly a violation, for example, if someone is in jail, is handcuffed to a table, and officers come in and hit him in the head with a billy club. Okay, that's excessive force. And so what the plaintiff here is arguing is that, hey, I gave up. And once I give up, there's no reason 
to attack a dog on me who will, is trained to bite me. And he did. He bit him and broke the skin, apparently. So that's what Baxter is arguing. Now, whether or not he can prove that, we, I mean, a jury might go, nah, man, you didn't give up. You're, we don't believe you. But that's not what we're dealing with here, whether or not he was he had actually surrendered. So whether he actually surrendered or not is a fact question a jury would have to determine after hearing all of the evidence. The burglar may well lose on that factual assertion and probably would, actually, just given the general tenor of how these uh, cases go and how juries generally believe police and not burglars. But it's up to the jury. It's not up to the judges. Judges don't get to decide if he actually surrendered or not. So this legal opinion prohibits him, the plaintiff, Baxter, the burglar, prohibits him from being able to make that argument. He can't even take it to the jury because according to qualified immunity, even if he had surrendered, even if we believe him, okay, we're just going to assume you surrendered for the point of discussion here. Assuming you surrendered, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals here is saying that sicking a dog on you to bite you on a surrendered person is not a clearly established, that's the magic word there, or phrase, not a clearly established right protected by the Constitution. Back to the case. The Sixth Circuit says the case is before us now on an interlocutory appeal after the district court denied the officer's claims of qualified immunity. We reversed that decision because the officer's conduct did not violate any clearly established right. And that's the doctrine of qualified immunity right there. You don't get to sue for having your constitutional rights, your rights protected by the Constitution, from being violated by government agents if a reasonable government agent, usually a police officer or some kind of law enforcement officer, should have known that his conduct violated a clearly established right. Now, this is the absurdity of the doctrine of qualified immunity. Releasing a dog on someone who surrendered, they've determined, is not a clear violation of rights protected under the Constitution. So qualified immunity, even if your rights are violated, that right has to be clearly established before the state actor, the law enforcement officer, can be sued. All right, and at this point, I am sure a lot of quote-unquote law and order conservatives are thinking, they're chiming into themselves, who cares about this low-life thief? He got what was coming to him. But that's not how our justice system works. And we should all be glad it doesn't work that way. This guy had the right not to be assaulted after he had given up. Criminal cases are where the boundaries of government power is fought. If government power is expanded to punish obvious criminals or people that are dismissed as low-life burglar thieves, uh, forget about those guys. If we don't protect that government boundary or that boundary that limits government force against them, that boundary of government power has now grown and now it covers you and me. Don't think the government won't claim it against you or me one day. They will. So that's why we have to keep that boundary pushed back and limit the government as far as possible. Criminal defense attorneys do that every day. And not just for the obviously guilty defendants, but for you and me and the entire country and to protect the Constitution. More facts from the case, from the opinion itself. The two officers arrested the burglar plaintiff Baxter on January 8, 2014, after he had committed an aggravated burglary, fled that scene. A neighbor caught Baxter breaking into a home, called the police. Baxter fled once he heard the sirens, saw the helicopters. First, he hid in a car, and then he sought refuge in the basement of a house he had previously broken into. There, Baxter, the burglar, hid between a chimney and a water heater while he watched and listened to the officers outside. Harris and Bracey were part of Nashville's K-9 unit, which is deployed for serious crimes, such as aggravated burglary, which we got here. The two officers entered the house with their dog. Now, the dog's name is spelled I-W-O. I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but I'm going to go with Ewo. So Officer Bracey announced that they're going to release Ewo if Baxter the burglar didn't surrender. Now, Baxter heard the warnings. He stayed quiet. The dog's handler, who was Officer Harris, repeated the warning. Again, Baxter remained quiet. Harris released Ewo 
who quickly found Baxter downstairs and ended up biting him. The officers followed the dog, Iwo, into the basement. And according to Baxter, and this is what's important, does he state a claim? We don't have to decide if what he says is true or not. We just have to decide if what he said is true and a jury finds that he had surrendered, then they can determine that his constitutional rights were violated. So according to Baxter, the two officers came down and saw him. He raised his hands in the air, but he never responded to the officer's warnings. Okay, he's admitting that. He never said, okay, I give up. He didn't say I give up. Up. But we do know that within five to ten seconds of discovering Baxter the burglar, the officer released Ewo, this time to apprehend him. I guess whatever the order is to go get somebody and bite him, hold him down, was given. Ewo restrained Baxter with a bite on the arm. The dog was eventually ordered to release Baxter the burglar, and he was placed under arrest. So Baxter... Proceeding pro se, without a lawyer, he sued the two officers under 42 U.S. Code, Section 1983, which we've talked about before. That is the federal statute that allows someone to sue a government agent for a violation of constitutional rights. Baxter the burglar asserts an excessive force claim against Harris and a failure to intervene claim against Bracey. Uh, we don't worry about that too much. He's basically saying, they used excessive force to me because I gave up. They didn't have any reason to commit any violence to me because I had given up. I didn't say I give up. I put my hands in the air, which means... I give up. Everybody in the world knows hands in the air is I give up. So the officers moved to dismiss the lawsuit, both arguing qualified immunity shielded them from the lawsuit. And this case had come before the Sixth Circuit before, and the Sixth Circuit makes a reference. We held back then that he pleaded sufficient facts to withstand a motion to dismiss, but now we've had discovery, and after looking at the discovery, we don't think Baxter can defeat the motion for summary judgment. So after they did discovery, where both sides have to exchange whatever evidence they have, both officers again move for summary judgment, and the district court, the federal district court, the trial judge, rejected both motions for summary judgment. The district court, federal trial judge, held back that summary judgment was inappropriate because Baxter's testimony, Baxter the burglars, corroborated the factual assertions in the complaint, and this court previously had upheld against the motion to dismiss. The Sixth Circuit, however, says, if those facts were enough to defeat qualified immunity in a complaint, the federal court, trial court reasoned, Baxter supporting testimony should do the same. The two police officers then filed this interlocutory appeal up to the Sixth Circuit. Interlocutory just means the underlying case hasn't been resolved yet. Usually, you can only appeal from a final judgment, and the trial court judge said, we're not going to give the two police officers summary judgment. If he had given them summary judgment, the case would have been over and that would have been it. That would have been a final judgment. And then the plaintiff would be able to appeal that up to the circuit court. Not granting summary judgment isn't a final judgment. We're going to keep going. We're going to now go to trial. And then let's say, for example, that Baxter the burglar won at trial. Then the police officers would have a final judgment to appeal. But there's no final judgment, so it's an interlocutory appeal. So back to the Sixth Circuit, they say, because the district court denied summary judgment to the defendants, we must determine, the Sixth Circuit three judges, whether, quote, this is the legal standard they're quoting, the undisputed facts or the evidence viewed in the light most favorable to the plaintiff fail to establish a prima facie violation of clear constitutional law. They're going to, this is some of the stuff they always have to talk about when they're talking about summary judgment. They say, will not weigh into credibility issues or try to resolve factual disputes. That's what I was talking about earlier. The jury may well determine that he hadn't given up, but that's not what this is about. This isn't about resolving factual disputes. Uh, Sixth Circuit says, our task is much simpler. We must decide the neat abstract issue of law regarding whether Baxter's version of the facts amounts to a clear constitutional violation. What Baxter says is what we have to assume is correct for a summary judgment motion. Then a jury would decide it if we let it go back. So this part is important. In order to get us summary judgment, there can be no contested material facts. In other words, there could not be a dispute about even one fact 
fact, that would make a difference in the outcome because the jury, sometimes the judge is a fact finder, but usually a jury will have to settle that factual dispute. In a simple case, it's like who ran the red light? The jury determines that. That's a factual issue. One party says, I didn't run the red light. I had a green light. The other party says the same thing. Jury has to determine that. Now, if both parties agree that guy ran the red light, then the jury doesn't have to determine anything. There's no dispute as to that fact. In this particular case, there's a dispute about whether or not Baxter had surrendered. But the Court of Appeals here is saying that even if he had surrendered, that's not a material fact. Why? Because qualified immunity gives the police immunity, even if it is true that Baxter had surrendered. So I hope that makes sense. I hope I explained that somewhat adequately. Court of Appeals goes on in their opinion. They say, the clarity of the constitutional violation is critical. An individual suing under Section 1983 must demonstrate two things. First, that the officer violated his constitutional rights. And second, that the violation was clearly established at the time. The clearly established prong, the court says, sets up an exacting standard in which the plaintiff must show that quote, every reasonable official would understand that what he is doing is unlawful. It is not enough that the rule is suggested by then existing precedent. It must be beyond debate and settled law. The effect is that qualified immunity, and this is the court, protects all but plainly incompetent are those who knowingly violate the law. So you can see this is a pretty high burden that qualified immunity, which is completely made up by the courts, sets. The court goes on to explain, courts can jump straight to the second question and dispose of a claim without deciding whether the officer's conduct violated the plaintiff's constitutional rights. Because so long as the alleged violation, in this case excessive force because he had surrendered, if that alleged violation has not been clearly established, the officers will receive qualified immunity and the suit can be dismissed. They say by resolving the issue on only the second prong about whether or not it's a clearly established right, courts avoid expending scarce judicial resources to resolve difficult and novel questions of constitutional or statutory interpretation that have no effect on the outcome of the case. So if the answer to one, whether or not the plaintiff's constitutional rights were violated, if that's not obvious, then the answer to two is no, basically. And so if the answer to one isn't obvious, there's no need to figure out number one, and we can just dismiss it, which is what they do here. The court says, this is the case here. The officers are entitled to qualified immunity because Harris's use of the canine to apprehend Baxter did not violate clearly established law. All right. Seeking a dog trained to bite on someone who has surrendered, who has given up, is not a clearly established violation. That's absurd. And so that's why the ACLU has taken this to the Supreme Court, hoping to get that judicial standard limited or hopefully erased. The Sixth Circuit goes on quoting, I am quoting the Sixth Circuit's opinion. The Fourth Amendment's prohibition against unreasonable seizures protects individuals from an officer's use of excessive force while making an arrest, and the reasonableness of the officer's force must be judged from the perspective of a reasonable officer on the scene. They talk about some examples where dogs have been used, including one where they upheld the use of a well-trained canine to apprehend a fleeing suspect in a dark and unfamiliar location. Okay, that guy was fleeing. He hadn't given up yet. But they don't have any cases specifically dealing with someone who says they have given up and then had a dog attack them. A police dog attacked them on the order of the law enforcement officers. So they talk about these two cases. They're comparing Baxter the burglar, in this case, to the other ones. The Sixth Circuit looking at these cases, says neither one of them deals with exactly the same situation, but they're going to try to compare those two cases with this one. And this part of the absurd absurdity of this whole thing. I guarantee that the cops were not aware of those two cases. 
much less the intricacies of each, like the Supreme Court or the Sixth Circuit here is arguing the nuances of each one. But they're pretending that all law enforcement, or at least law enforcement in this jurisdiction, would be aware of the differences between these two cases. Court says, all of these facts would lead a reasonable officer to believe that the use of a canine to apprehend Baxter did not violate the Fourth Amendment. Seems like a pretty big stretch of a constitutional conclusion on very weak analysis. And that's what the ACLU, on behalf of Baxter the burglar, is going to argue. The court notes that, quote, militating against those facts is Baxter's claim that he surrendered by raising his hands in the air before Harris released the dog. This conduct might show that he did not pose the kind of threat justifying a forceful arrest. You think? Hands up is a pretty well-known gesture. And what difference would it have made if he had said... I give up. He could be lying, saying I give up versus showing I give up. I don't see how that is an important distinction because you might say, well, his hands are up, but how do I know he means it? Well, he could say I give up. How do you know he means that? You don't in either way, but they're both indications of giving up. I surrender. Sixth Circuit says, but Baxter, the burglar, does not point us to any case law suggesting that raising his hands on its own is enough to put the law enforcement officer on notice that a canine apprehension was unlawful in those circumstances. That's because even with Baxter's hands raised, Harris faced a suspect hiding in an unfamiliar location after fleeing from the police who posed an unknown safety risk. All factors the court had identified as significant to determining whether the seizure was lawful. Okay, now this paragraph, these two sentences, is just is absurd. It's another absurdity. As if some court had made that ruling. If some court had said that reasonable cop should know what it means when someone raises their hands and you can't do that. So even if another court had said that, which is what the Sixth Circuit here is saying nobody ever said, therefore the cops aren't responsible for any constitutional violations. But if some court had, the assertion that these cops would have known that is ridiculous. Again, toddlers understand that hands up means I surrender. I bet people on those remote islands that you've heard about that have had no contact with the outside world in a 100,000 years know that raising your hand means I surrender. Hands up means I give up. Apparently the words I give up need to be said too, but even that doesn't necessarily solve the issue. It wouldn't really. It would mitigate in favor of Baxter, but it wouldn't get him over this qualified immunity hurdle. Because I would guarantee you some court would declare that if he had said, I give up, if he had mouthed the words or enunciated the words, some court would say that was not a clear violation of constitutional rights. So qualified immunity needs to die. It makes the Constitution a joke. It makes Section 1983 a joke. Back to the Sixth Circuit. They say, given all of this, we cannot say that Harris, the officer, violated any clearly established law in using Ewo, the dog, to apprehend Baxter the burglar. Even if Baxter raised his hand, the other circumstances, undisputed, weigh against the finding that, and this is the standard, every reasonable official would understand that what Harris did, the law officer, is unlawful. Court says, for that reason, the law enforcement officers are entitled to qualified immunity. They deal with each officer separately, but for the purposes of the podcast, we're just going to treat them the same. One of the things they talk about is whether or not a dog has been trained and the extent he's been trained. I don't see that as being particularly relevant. The Sixth Circuit does, but I don't. So let's assume the dog was trained to do only exactly what he was told to do. In Baxter's case, he did. Let's assume he wasn't that well-trained and he was still sicked on the defendant who had given up. So either he was trained or he wasn't. The effect is still a defendant who gave up being attacked, being assaulted by the dog at the police officer's instruction. This opinion, I think, I mean, it's clearly written by one of those quote, law and order type judges, who's less concerned with the restrictions on government agents than he is on punishing bad guys. He just wants to punish 
punish bad guys. Baxter, the burglar, got what was coming to him. We're not going to let him sue because he got bit by a dog. And it goes back to their conclusion that they say, the facts of the case, move Baxter's claims to a place where we cannot say that every reasonable official would understand that what he is doing is unlawful. So, assaulting a defendant by a dog attack who has surrendered is not a constitutional violation? That's stupid. As Dickens said, if the law believed that, the law is a ass. So for the above stated reasons, the Sixth Circuit reverses the district court's order denying the summary judgment. Therefore, the cops get summary judgment because of this qualified immunity doctrine. There's some good insight in a reason.com article. It's got some good perspective on the case and the qualified immunity doctrine in general. And there's a link to that story in the show notes. It's an article written by C.J. Sierra Sierra notes that the ACLU is asking the Supreme Court to consider not just Baxter's case, but to reconsider the entire doctrine of qualified immunity, which has faced a growing bipartisan chorus of criticism. And some of the criticism he points out here, I mentioned in that earlier episode, but it's becoming, hopefully, reaching to a crescendo of opinions that count on the Supreme Court that will overturn it. Back to the Reason article, he says, as a New Republic article recently noted, qualified immunity has recently come under criticism from both originalist and liberal judges on the Supreme Court. Arch conservative, that's their words, Justice Clarence Thomas wrote in 2017, that qualified immunity should be revisited in an appropriate case, which means he wants to consider doing something about it. And liberal Justice Sonia Sotomayor has bemoaned its effects on lawsuits over police shootings. Again, taking this from the Reason article. He quotes Sotomayor in a 2018 dissent. She said, As I have previously noted, this court routinely displays an unflinching willingness to summarily reverse courts for wrongly denying officers the protection of qualified immunity, but rarely intervenes where courts wrongly afford officers the benefit of qualified immunity in these same cases. Reason article notes, U.S. Circuit Judge Don Willett, who I believe I quoted in an earlier podcast, Circuit Court Judge, one level below the U.S. Supreme Court, and the same level as the Sixth Circuit judges that made this ruling against Baxter. So Don Willett wrote in 2018, quote, to some observers, qualified immunity smacks of unqualified impunity Punity, letting public officials duck consequences for bad behavior, no matter how palpably unreasonable, as long as they were the first to behave badly. So what he's saying here, if a court hasn't already said you can't do that, then they can do it. And here's a, an example again from the Reason article. The Second Circuit Court of Appeals last year ruled that two New York prison guards violated an inmate's First Amendment rights when they put him in solitary confinement for nine months for refusing to become a snitch, but then added that this right wasn't clearly established at the time, and therefore the guards were covered by qualified immunity and the suit had to be dismissed. So the next time some guards put somebody in solitary confinement for nine months for refusing to become a snitch, maybe qualified immunity won't apply. But again, that's stupid because it's not like every prison guard is going to know that. They're not. So it's it's just, it's a, it's a huge theater of the absurd. And we'll close out from with a quote from the Reason article from the ACLU attorney, Emma Anderson. She says, Qualified immunity undermines official accountability and lacks any sound legal basis. She's absolutely correct. Hopefully the Supreme Court will do something about it. We'll keep you apprised on what happens here at The Law with D.K. Williams. And of course, on my personal social media, at Blue Carb, and the new Facebook page for the podcast. The Law with D.K. Williams. So check that out. I am D.K. Williams, and this has been The Law, Episode 29, Baxter versus Bracey, dealing with qualified immunity, a completely judicially made-up doctrine that hopefully will be either reined in, curtailed, or hopefully just destroyed. As always, we're brought to you by the Launchpad Media Network, always launching ideas in your direction. Find us at thelaunchpadmedia.com. And remember... 
Government is never a tool of liberation. Government is a tool of oppression. Freedom is dangerous. Live dangerously.